Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Mark Allward, Associate at Taylor McCaffrey, the ELA member for Manitoba, Canada. Along with bringing you updates and critical events happening around the world, we are also fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers that practice on the ground in these jurisdictions and are working daily to help their clients move through these difficult times. Today, we are going to be chatting with one of our members in Alberta, Canada. Joining us on the program today is Danica McClellan, an associate at Newman Thompson. Danica will be discussing the recent decision by the Supreme Court of Canada in Horrocks and developments from the Alberta Human Rights Commission regarding religious exemptions to mask wearing and a number of administrative and procedural changes that the commission is implementing as a result. Welcome to the program, Danica. How are you today? I'm great, Mark. Thanks so much. How are you? I'm doing swell. Danica, these issues are so timely. So let's get right into it. First, can you give us a little bit of information on the Horrocks decision for our colleagues who may not be in Canada? Sure. So the Horrocks decision is a decision out of Manitoba from the Supreme Court of Canada. And long story short, there is an employee who was terminated for attending work under the influence of alcohol. She then disclosed an addiction, but she refused to enter into a last chance agreement, which would have required her to attend addiction treatment. She grieved along with her union and she was ultimately reinstated. However, her employment was terminated again shortly after for breaching the terms of her reinstatement. In that case, she did not grieve, but she filed a human rights complaint instead. And the primary issue in Horrocks that the Supreme Court considered was whether the human rights adjudicator had jurisdiction to hear her complaint as a unionized employee. And now what the Supreme Court ultimately found was that the adjudicator did not have jurisdiction upholding the long-standing Weber principle, which says that labor arbitrators, generally speaking, have exclusive jurisdiction over matters pertaining to unionized employees who are under a collective agreement. But more specifically, the Supreme Court confirmed that labor arbitrators do generally have exclusive jurisdiction over human rights issues, which arise with unionized employees. And that's exclusive jurisdiction, which would oust the jurisdiction in most cases of human rights commissions or human rights tribunals. So that's really interesting, that competing jurisdictions point. So how does this decision from the Supreme Court practically impact employers and employees across Canada? So Mark, it's going to have a really different impact depending where in Canada you find yourself, which jurisdiction you're under, whether you're in a provincial jurisdiction or under federal jurisdiction, either as an employee or as an employer. But one of the, I guess, really notable points of the Supreme Court decision is that they said that A labor arbitrator has exclusive jurisdiction unless there's legislation that gives concurrent jurisdiction. So unless there's legislation which contemplates multiple tribunals or multiple forums having jurisdiction over the complaint. So Manitoba doesn't have any sort of legislation which grants that concurrent jurisdiction. Other provinces, British Columbia, for example, also federal jurisdiction, they explicitly give their human rights tribunals or human rights commissions the ability to defer to grievance procedures. And the Supreme Court has interpreted that to mean that that's concurrent jurisdiction. So in that case, an employee could file a human rights complaint through the process or they could file a grievance. In Manitoba, they would be restricted to only being able to file a grievance. I suppose that's fortunate for me then. Makes my life a little bit more simple. 
So what will Horrocks mean for the union's duty of fair representation for its members? Again, depending on whether you're in a concurrent jurisdiction province or not, it may mean that the unions who are in this exclusive jurisdiction world have to really give extra consideration to whether or not to file a grievance or whether or not to advance that grievance to arbitration because the employee is effectively prohibited from filing human rights complaint. In provinces where there is this concurrent jurisdiction, unions in those situations may have, you know, they still have their duty of fair representation. But if the employee subsequently goes and files a human rights complaint, that duty of fair representation issue may not be as prevalent for the union in that case. One province as well that I think is interesting because other provinces I think are in the same boat right now is Alberta, where it's still a little bit unclear whether the legislation actually grants concurrent jurisdiction or not. So in Alberta, we do have legislation which suggests that the Human Rights Commission, the director of the commission, can dismiss a complaint if it has been, will be, or should be more appropriately dealt with in another forum. But that's not quite as explicit as the BC model, which explicitly names grievances. So in Alberta, and I know in other provinces around the country as well, employers employer counsel, unions, and employees are all sort of waiting for some of these test cases to come out to see exactly how the language in their legislation will be interpreted. Sounds like we're going to see some litigation around these issues for some of the foreseeable future as those different statutes are interpreted by their respective courts. It's funny how lawyers can always seem to find a way to make sure that there's always going to be litigation. So Danica, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the ever prevalent, it seems, COVID-19 pandemic. So how are the human rights commissions and tribunals handling those issues currently? I mean, Mark, generally speaking, I think the consensus is they're not because their volume of complaints and the volume of inquiries they're receiving is just so high that, you know, no one across the country, no commission or tribunal really has the resources to process all of these complaints in a timely manner. And as you know very well, Before COVID, there has already been an astronomical backlog in processing complaints, and that was before sort of this additional COVID volume hit us. So human rights commissions right now are doing their very best, but they're working through a big backlog, fair to say. I think it's fair to say that understaffed and largely underfunded would be an apt way of describing some of the human rights commissions. And so in, in Manitoba anyway, I mean, we're, we're looking at two years before an investigator is even appointed. What, what are you looking at in Alberta right now? So in Alberta, I recently got a decision on a hearing for a complaint that was filed in 2014. So that was seven years from start to finish. And that was well underway before sort of this volume of COVID complaints started coming in as well. So Alberta, I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but Alberta is implementing some new procedures to try to streamline that process. We'll see how much streamlining is possible and how quickly. But we, we have actually received now one, I think, really relevant for a lot of employers decision from the Human Rights Commission. It's in the Pelletier decision. It was released late last year. And it was about, it's not an employment-related case, but there's a lot of, I think, good material in the decision for employers who are looking at how to assess religious exemption requests from their employees. The decision in Pelletier was a customer at a store who indicated that he had both a medical exemption and a religious exemption from having to wear a mask while shopping in the store. 
And the Human Rights Commission ultimately dismissed the complaint, confirming a lot of sort of that previously existing case law, but also talking about there being still an ability, I I guess is maybe the right word for employers, for service providers to ensure and to ask enough questions to ensure the sincerity of a claim that is being made. And so I think that's something there's a lot of really good, helpful language for employers, for service providers who are looking at trying to figure out how to navigate what is a very sensitive, personal, and often emotional determination for them to make. So you mentioned that we're going to talk about this a little bit further down the road. I think it would be a perfect time to switch that way. And when we're talking about those delays and the increased volume of complaints, what are human rights commissions doing as a result of those increased volumes? whether COVID-related mask vaccine, et cetera, or or non-COVID-related complaints, how are they going to address that backlog issue? So particularly for COVID-related complaints, what I've been seeing across the country is human rights commissions much more frequently than they would have with non-COVID issues, issuing guidance, issuing some preliminary statements about how they're going to be assessing these sorts of complaints or claims that they receive, as well as issuing and streamlining the issuance of some preliminary decisions on issues that they're seeing very commonly and you know giving an indication of how they'll be assessing and how they'll be disposing of some of these complaints so in British Columbia for example their tribunal has issued a couple decisions specific to mask wearing where they explained you know on a probably a more general and more expedited basis than they normally would the factors that they're going to be considering. And Ontario as well, they've issued sort of a guidance for for individuals, for employers about how sort of narrowing the scope, I suppose, of of what they'll consider as a, you know, a sincerely held religious belief or, or based on religion or creed in Ontario. So they've been doing that, which, you know, historically, as we've talked about, you have to wait years sometimes for these decisions to come out. And they've sort of been taking what I would call maybe test cases and moving them ahead a little bit more quickly, where they know that there's going to be a high volume of those sorts of complaints coming forward. In Alberta specifically, the provincial government actually just passed legislation recently, which is going to facilitate some changes procedurally at the Human Rights Commission. So now the commission has a goal of a one-year average from accepting a complaint to resolving a complaint, which seems very quick relative to current processing times, but goals are great to have. What they're going to do is they are changing their approach. Instead of doing an intake and then getting a response and then immediately conducting an investigation before making a recommendation to the director of whether to dismiss the complaint or not, what they're going to be doing is moving from intake to conciliation. So there will be a response provided. There will be a conciliation meeting. And then only if there's a failure to settle at that point, will it be directed to the director's team who will conduct the investigation at that stage. So it's really moving the investigation later on in the process. The director will also have now an increased ability to decline carriage of matters at the tribunal or to only have a limited carriage, which will, in theory, really streamline the ability for individual complainants to move forward without having to rely on the director's legal counsel resources, which have historically been quite limited. And then they're also introducing, which we're not really sure how it's going to work yet, but they've indicated there will be a new team specifically to address systemic discrimination and public interest complaints. 
So dealing with those complaints outside of the standard complainant respondent forum, potentially, you know, we're not sure how standing will work yet in these cases or what factors this new team is going to be considering when deciding whether or not to take on one of these complaints. So that's something that we will all have to look forward to in the spring, because I know none of us are very busy at all right now. Yeah, Manitoba has brought in some new procedures as well at the start of this year, including a process where the executive director can be referred a complaint for consideration at the very beginning after the complaint is filed and frequently after the respondent would file a reply and can consider it. And if the complaint doesn't establish a prima facie case or is frivolous and vexatious, or there's some certain other criteria, they can dismiss it without even considering an investigation. And the language that's being used in Manitoba is that the commission only has a duty to investigate as much as is necessary. In those circumstances, the suggestion is that it's not necessary to do a full investigation. And so we don't want to be using the limited resources we have to investigate something that doesn't really have any merits to it. And that's something I think that in Alberta is my sense of it anyways, is that's practically how things are unfolding with some of these COVID-related complaints where you know an individual hasn't really identified a protected ground, for example, on which their complaint is based, but rather it's on you know a personal opinion or you know a belief that treating anybody who is vaccinated or not vaccinated or wears a mask or doesn't wear a mask differently on that on its own is something for the Human Rights Commission to look into. So, you know, I've I've seen a lot of complaints get submitted that haven't moved forward through the normal process. So I'm again, whether that's partially due to delays, whether that's partially also due to the commission saying, we're just not going to accept this because to your point, there's no prima facie case, whether there's no protected ground that's been identified, that sort of thing. That's also my sense of how they're working through some of these issues a little bit more quickly. Well, this has been a very interesting discussion. Thank you so much for your time today, Danica. Thanks so much for having me. If you'd like to connect with Danica McClellan, you can find her bio by clicking on her name in the description of this podcast. Please visit www.ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Mark Allward. Thanks for listening.